Hello, and welcome to the Integral Yoga Podcast. So happy to be joined today by Reverend Jagannath Carrera. A little bit about Reverend Jagannath. He's the founder and spiritual head of Yoga Life Society and his first Yoga Life Center in, as the founder of the first Yoga Life Center in Woodland Park, New Jersey. He's a direct disciple of Swami Sachidananda. Reverend Jagannath has taught at universities, prisons, yoga centers, and interfaith programs. He established the Integral Yoga Ministry and developed the highly regarded Integral Yoga Meditation and Raja Yoga Teacher Training Certification Programs. He served for eight years as Chief Administrator of Sachidananda Ashram Yogaville and founded the Integral Yoga Institute of New Brunswick, New Jersey. Finally, he is the author of Inside the Yoga Sutras, a source book for the study and practice of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and Awaken Inside Yoga Meditation. So, wow, thank so much there. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us, Reverend Jagannath. Thank you, Avi. Good to be here. Okay, so I'd like to start with this question. Um, what matters to you? I think what matters most to me is to find and live a life that has meaning. That uh, a life without meaning means a life without purpose. And then even if you have nice things happen, if, if there's no meaning attached to it, it doesn't have roots. It doesn't satisfy. It's like eating only dessert without having the main course. Mm. So to me, uh, a life of meaning is the most important. And uh, yoga has been, at least for me and I know for many others, that pathway to finding meaning in life and, and meaning in everything, not only that we do, but the things that happen to us. Hmm. So can you explain a little bit more on how yoga has been the line for you to find meaning? I mean, the, the obvious part is it's a path that we're, we, we find from the beginning, makes us feel better physically, makes us more happy, more peaceful. And as we go on more and learn more about yoga, we learn about in a way, the purpose of what this creation is about and, and our place in that, in, in that. And <clears throat> thinking of it maybe in a little more psychological terms, everything that we think or do and everything that we, we experience, whether we do it consciously or not, we're always measuring it against some standard of life. We have some idea of what life is about and what's really important. And so... If I stub my toe, I'm looking looking at it, not in an isolated way, but somehow in this grand scheme of things, what's that standard that I'm using to, to understand my stub toe or the fact that I um, was falsely given a parking ticket or whatever it is that happens that maybe I don't like, as well as things that I do like. The problem is for most people, that standard is something that's either unexamined we don't know why we're reacting the way we are. Uh, and it becomes more like we're amoeba-like, that we're just going to react to a stimulus without understanding. Or what yoga brings is that we do have a standard, and that standard is something that doesn't change. So our orientation becomes towards something that's eternal and unchanging, which you see in, in, in most of the scriptures that when we talk about love of God or we talk about the highest truth, it's always something that doesn't change. In fact, in, 
in at least in the East, uh, when they talk about something that's true, they're not using it as something opposed to false, which is where our mind falls all the time. We say, this is your true nature, the peace is your true nature. We think, well, then everything else must be false. And that's not how they think at all. Mm. Uh, true is always something that doesn't change and that has meaning. So my true nature is something that doesn't change um, and that gives my life meaning. It's my, my true nature is my source and my essence. So the orientation in yoga uh, that yoga provides for us is that unchanging standard. We, you call a spiritual standard or the you know, truth with the capital T or the absolute or the divine. There's something there. Um, and it's also not just there. It's just a little bit beyond where my words can grasp, my thoughts can grasp. It brings me right to the door. But I find that everything that I, I've known that's helped me find meaning up to now isn't enough. But I can kind of, almost like something good is cooking in the kitchen. I'm, I'm there as high as my mind can take me, but I'm sensing something more. And it's that moment, I think, that all yoga students are searching for is to get to that doorway and then finding a way to get through, which is that ultimate giving up of, of my ability to grasp the infinite, my finite mind trying to grasp the infinite, to grasp the infinite um, has been the problem all along. So when I just, my mind says, well, this is as far as I can take you. Now what I have to do is just like lay back and let the truth grasp me as it goes the other way around. So that's kind of a convoluted way of talking about what yoga can do. Uh, but I think that's the mean, the meaning is in finding something that's permanent, that's enriching, uh, and that uh, makes me experience myself as an integral part of creation, that it's needed. Mm. And I'm needed only in comparison to the creation. It's something like a carburetor on a car outside the car could be a marvel of engineering, but it has no meaning because it's not connected to the car. Mm. It, it achieves meaning when it's united with the car. It needs a lot of other things to, to run, but me as a carburetor, I only find meaning when I'm attached to the car. Me as a human being, I only find meaning in my life when I realize I'm attached to the whole that I'm a part of the whole, uh, which I think is actually the ultimate meaning in the Bhagavad Gita that we find like, you know, Arjuna has to find his, his space that's allotted to him and him alone. Uh, and that gives his life meaning. And that's what it means when Krishna says, okay, get up and fight, you know, get up and live your life, Arjuna. You're saying that the connection to the whole, uh, kind of allows him to live his life and move forward yeah. be, be, because he feels connected. Yeah. Yeah. Th then that war that they were on the brink of the war, when he saw the family and good people on both sides and he didn't know what to do, that, that barrier he was facing, that separation was, was causing him the, the despondency. The first chapter is called the despondency of, of Arjuna. Um, there's no connection there for him at that point. And 
the uh, the climax of the, of the Bhagavad Gita out of the 18 chapters is chapter 11, uh, when Krishna reveals his cosmic form, right? And the temptation for a lot of people is to read that and then think that the real divine is beyond that form. And there's a truth to that. It is beyond name and form. But I don't think that's what it's trying to say. I think what we're being told there, uh, when Krishna shows all the things that he is and that all the things that are happening, he's really doing. Uh, and he says, these warriors have already been slain, Arjuna. Um, he's telling Arjuna, you have a place in this cosmic universe. Your life has meaning. Uh, and that meaning may well be beyond the uh, reach of your intellect. But that meaning is there. And you find meaning by seeing your place. Even like being on a team, if you're on a sports team or something, your meaning derives from your place in it, in, in the, in the, on the team, whether you're the manager or a coach or a backup player or whatever you are, or even the star of the team. It only makes sense in context. You couldn't have Babe Ruth outside the, the team. <laughs> like he, he could still be Babe Ruth, but it wouldn't be particularly meaning to any of us. Uh, but within the context of his team and the context broader of the sport, then Babe Ruth became meaningful to us and meaningful to himself. Uh, so I think that's, sometimes I think our tendency in yoga is to go again beyond, we try to keep going beyond what our mind can say in an intellectual way. And we don't pay enough attention to who we are. <laughs> You know, we kind of think ourselves into infinity and it doesn't work. So to me, what's happening there is like our relationship with words. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know if um, we acknowledge enough how addicted we are to words and, and, and thoughts. It's almost as if like we're so deep into it, we can't imagine another way. Yeah, <laughs> that's really true. I think it was, uh, I might be wrong, but I think it was Socrates that said something like, all knowledge begins with words. But then there's this wonderful Zen saying, like, when you teach, you open your mouth, you're already wrong. <laughs> as soon as you start to speak, it's right. And St. Francis has one that I love too. He exhorted, you know, all his uh, brothers. He says, go and constantly preach the good, good news to everyone. And if you need to, use words. <laughs> I think it's a great a great quote. Uh, and, I mean, for for us, at least for me, I'm you know for countless, maybe thousands of people, using as an example, Gurudev gave so many incredible teachings. But even more important was just watching him, yeah. you know, just seeing uh, what he was like and how he would open an envelope given to him or how he would take his glasses off and put them gently on the arm of his chair. Even the way he walked, um, that's the part that whatever scripture there is, there should be a chapter that says, and you have to watch someone, you have to see someone uh, to know what the, the, the ultimate of the teaching is. And that's what gets passed on that's beyond the words. So we use the words, but then we have to go beyond it. Yeah. 
I want to go back to um, what you were saying before, kind of about the doorway and the mm-hmm. mind and, and kind of the place, and maybe it's connected, right? Like that doorway, I think if we walk through it, there aren't any words there, right? Uh, uh, but I wanted to ask, you know, you referenced kind of um, the uh, kind of the polarization of, of when we use the word truth, we assume that uh, it's like kind of against false, right? Mm-hmm. But is there a tendency to do a similar thing here with, let's say, one side of the doorway and the other side of the doorway with uh, with thoughts and words and not like we're doing we're saying that like, um, you know, one is kind of bad, one is false and, and one is good as opposed to like this idea that I'm, I've just kind of been working with a little bit with like, so the source, source energy, I think you were describing kind of that being there, um, on the other side of the doorway. And, and, and so I'm playing with the idea of like the source energy encompasses everything, right? So it would also encompass, the uh, the words and the thoughts and and maybe the little eye right like Gurudev talks about the big eye and the and the little mm-hmm. eye right so like I see the the big eye is like source but the little the big eye even includes the the small eye so that I'm not making it bad I'm not making it an enemy it seems like that part of me needs love too right but I have I guess going back to meaning like. I feel great meaning the closer I get to that source, right? And 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 maybe that's what allowed Gurudev to um, to be that shining example in everything that he's doing when he's opening up the letter because he is so closely connected to that source. He's not going out so far. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. <clears throat> If I remember correctly, there was one time I heard Gurudev say, I don't know if it was at a public talk or a group of us were just following him walking around outside somewhere. I tend to think it was there. And I'm remembering as I'm saying it, someone said they love watching him walk. And he said something, this is not exact word for word, but it's pretty close. He says, when I'm walking, and he was walking on, on this lawn, I think it was at Salve Regina College. Uh, we had a 10-day retreat there. He was walking. I says, hey, what? says, when I'm walking, I feel like I'm walking on the body of the mother. Mm. And so every step, there was a consciousness of each step having a certain respect of the earth. Not just gentility, because that could be kind of a technique, mm. at least the way I'm thinking of it, but a real reverence. For the for the earth under his feet as he walked, because there was something about watching him do that um, that was was wonderful. And yet, there was a, a time. Um, this is at the Connecticut ashram. We had the month long teacher training. I was staffing, and it had a big backyard and a volleyball net. And so we had this special Sunday with pizza and ice cream for everybody. And then Guru came and played volleyball with us. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be, I think there were five people on a team. I was on his team, which gave me like a cosmic advantage. (laughs) The other side didn't have. And I really sympathized with what was happening. The people on the other side, Gurudev near the net, they were very gently tipping over the ball. And he kept complaining. He said, you're not just tossing roses. (laughs) And then he would spike it. (laughs) 
And so to me, it was like an example of like, there is a reverence for the mother earth, but this is now in this environment of the game, this is what's required, mm. you know? And he loved it because I played at that time being much younger. Uh, I was very aggressive and I would like jump and leap and fall. And I was, I had bloody knees and he would say, that's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> he was like <laughs> exhorting me to go even further. Uh, so, uh, you see that in a way it's, it, I, I think it's speaking to what you're saying is that you really don't want to leave anyone out or anything mm. out of your vision, that everything is a manifestation of the divine. And the idea is not to erase all of that, but you, I use a phrase often uh, reminiscent of the early 70s, late 60s, the hippie all the drugs that they were, I didn't, by the way, I didn't, never took drugs, but but I was around a lot of people, I was a musician, so there were drugs all over. And there was this phrase, mind expansion. Mm. And I like the idea of like engulfing more and more and not like shutting anything out, but bringing more and more things into this corral. And then eventually all the barriers are broken. And indeed, I think, any spiritual path that's really genuine path always involves breaking down of what separates us. Body, mind, and spirit no longer separated. Uh, you and me not separated, male and female, different races, different social classes. Um, the separation we have with nature, the separation between life and death, all of those things start to melt away, uh, all those barriers. Thomas Merton called them fractures, like a fractured bone. And he actually went on to say, this is taking a little left turn, but I like the analogy. He said, there's two kinds of pain when you break a bone. There's the pain that comes when you break it. And then there's the pain that comes when you set it. And, said, and that's why sometimes spiritual life has difficulty. What you're experiencing, if you're on a good path, is the resetting of the bone. They have different ends. The breaking of the bone is an undesirable. The setting of the bone pain then is a desirable situation. Mm. I love that. So I'm seeing that a little bit as like maybe maybe when we start on the spiritual path, you could say, right? That's the initial, uh, or, or sorry, no. I would say like coming maybe out of childhood, like the purity of, of childhood and then as you become to get socialized into that pain, like that's the break. And then when you come into spiritual life, that's like maybe the reset, resetting pain a little bit, coming back to your true nature. That's a great insight. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Uh, <clears throat> and that's why Gurudev often said, pain is your friend. And I don't know how it was for you, but the first time I heard that, it was like, what? That's not what I signed on to. <laughs> that, Part of this healing that we're trying to do often includes confronting realities that are uncomfortable and disrupt our way of being. Like there's a deep disruption that happens when you, if you've never heard it before, I mean, normally if you watch TV and you watch movies, nobody's talking about how, how pain is really desirable. It's not like a main topic, but he would go and say repeatedly, Pain is your best friend. 
to hear that for the first time should be a little unsettling. Mm. There should be something. And, and what I think, it not only is it just true, just by itself, I think what, what's happening is that a lot of the ways that we think are based on subconscious habits, with the thought patterns, these habitual thought patterns in the subconscious mind. And that's why we end up doing things that we, we always ask ourselves afterwards, like, why did I do that? I keep doing that. And I don't know why it's happening on the subconscious levels. The yoga sutras deal lots with the subconscious uh, and it has its own momentum. And it's, it's almost like its own identity. It's like a subterranean beast of some kind. <laughs> that's how I think of it uh, in some ways. And then what we need to have is not just spiritual teachings that soothe us, which is important. We need spiritual teachings that disrupt the, um, the momentum of that subconscious mindset. Something has to disrupt it. And it's done in many ways, like just repeating a mantra disrupts it. Because when you're repeating a mantra, you're not thinking. So the, the left brain, which is the rational, inspect all the little bits and pieces part, it's like subdued. And then the right brain, which is looking more holistically beyond the words understanding, can open up. So something like mantra, uh, japa, disrupts it. But also certain teachings disrupt it. My favorite one more recently that I found out was from the, from the Bible. At the New Testament, um, where uh, Jesus is giving a lecture and he's talking about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And at one point he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And he says, when, when you plant, it's the tiniest seed, he said, and you plant it and it grows. And as it grows, it becomes a, a shelter for the birds of the air and it becomes a wonderful thing. But what I didn't know, and I found out recently, is that there was actually a law in that part of the world to never plant the mustard seed in your garden. So he's saying that plant the mustard seed and is a wonderful thing. Then you find out it's, it's illegal because it doesn't grow into a nice big tree. It stays as a bush and it's an invasive kind of a thing that just will swallow up all the other vegetables you're growing in the garden. And it's not a place that birds ever use. So anyone at the time who was listening to him would have to think, this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven, he's presenting it as something like <laughs> absolutely absurd. It's like illegal, it's invasive. Why would it be that way? Well, you could look that there's a meaning that the kingdom of heaven kind of grows in its own way and it engulfs everything. But before you get to that, there has to be a moment like these wonderful you know, people listening to him who live off the earth who would say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And that moment that like, what? That's when the teachings go in. You know, the mind is like stunned for a moment. That subconscious momentum stops. And then you can replace it with something new to, to kind of restructure the subconscious mind a little bit. I love that. It seems like when that happens, like when the disruption happens, that there are two choices. And one choice maybe is just to run away from that. Like, I'm not going to even, I'm not going to look at it at all because there's something about it that, you know, I, I don't want to experience the disruption. 
The other is kind of exploring and diving into, okay, what is there? I want to find out what's there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. It's, it makes me think of uh, Einstein uh, who talked about uh, what he called the holy curiosity, mm-hmm. uh, which is extraordinary to think of him, you know, this great scientist talking about something holy and it being curiosity. And he, he says also that, and apparently this is true, but it's on another level, I think, that among his peers, he was known as not being very good at mathematics. I think it's still probably a far away from where most of us are. But among the peers, he was known as not being that good. And he admits it. He says, that wasn't that good. He said, but what I had was holy curiosity. Said, That's the thing. And he says, never, little quote is, never lose holy curiosity. Never lose that. And I think, I think that's a wonderful trait to be. It's kind of, a, to me, I, I think of it because this is the way I am in, in the physical world. What's around the bend? Like when I've been traveling, like on a vacation or something, and we're just driving around, just looking at things, to researching and finding things. Like when do we turn around? And my wife would know that if there's a bend, to, I'll always be like, Let's see what's around the bend. <laughs> I always have to see what's around the bend. It's like, and it's usually nothing special, but once in a while, <laughs> you come across something wonderful, a great waterfall or something like that. I think, I think that's really important. And not enough people are curious about their own spiritual path. Hmm. I mean, we have to accept things, but we don't accept things kind of in a, in a spirit of resignation, like, well, this is what I have to eat. You know, this is what's on the plate and I have to eat it. There's something about interacting with the teachings, pushing at them a little, challenging them a little bit, um, so that they really become part of that mind expansion that includes more and more and more. And in the process, it's polishing a lot of tarnish off of old ideas. Um, and and seeing new ideas in a different light, in a different way to incorporate uh, an idea. How do you incorporate reincarnation with with the fact that you're living and aging as we go? What do you do with that? Um, We tend to, most people tend to think of reincarnation, as an example, as a positive thing in our culture. Like, well, you know, I get another shot and another shot. (laughs) I just keep coming back. When that doctrine was first born in India, it wasn't called rebirth. It was called re-death. They had a whole different feeling around it. It was like, this isn't a desirable thing. This is, this is even like terrible. <laughs> Keep coming back again and again and again, facing the difficulties of life uh, until I get enlightenment. So they called it re-death. Uh, only years and years, actually centuries later, it, it turned into rebirth. And uh, so so to me, it's like, well, it's the same principle. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? You know, you just can't just say, well, there it is. I mean, you can. You can just say, there it is. And I, it doesn't matter to me. That's fine, too, I guess. But to me, it's like, it's another, what's around the bend? <laughs> no, I have it. What's around the bend? 
it almost seems like like maybe there's like there's a penalty for a lack of curiosity for not going around the bed. Like maybe that's the case with reincarnation. Like, hey, you weren't curious enough. Go back and be more curious. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I think that's true. I didn't think of that before. Yeah, curiosity is. There's also um, Rabbi Abraham Heschel has a, a related uh, idea, and they're very related. But he talks about. Um, I believe he, he believe he was a rabbi as well as a professor, and he talks about that you can't really grow spiritually or thrive spiritually unless you have a a, a sense of amazement in life. Mm. So if you can't be amazed, you'll never find God. You know, and and I right away, and he he used this idea of of uh, planting seeds in the earth. Um, it's like most of the action is where you can't see it, right? When you first plant it, it's all happening invisible to you, but it is happening. Um, and I started thinking, well, it's like, I don't know if you've ever made sprouts at home, made your own sprouts. Uh, to me, that's like a, a constant miracle that you get a seed and it can stay just a seed if you keep it dry for years. And then it meets water and the water and the seed interact. And not just that the, the seed swells up. I mean, that's kind of how we, it looks like, oh, it's swelling up and now it's growing. But in order for it to do that, there's actually literally an exchange of information, which the dictionary uses as a definition of intelligence, the ability to Exchange information is intelligence, not consciousness. Talking on the scientific level, it's a, so there's intelligence going on. If that's not amazing, then what? And there's just, they just found. I don't know if you saw this. There was a documentary. Trees communicate underground through mushrooms. So you have trees talking to each other, literally. If we can't just look at that and go, wow, then how is God going to impress us? If that doesn't impress us. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know what happened because what you're saying is uh, it's so logical. It's so, it's so appropriate. Like the, the awe and the wonder to me, it's just, it's appropriate. Like there's a part of me that feels like I was born into this life and I'm surrounded by all these people that are totally insane because, <laughs> because this, the, the earth is so magical. It's like, like, this is magic. Like what we are a part of, it's like, it's objectively magic. And we're all just going to ignore that. <laughs> the answer is not all, but most. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need the quiet moments. And sometimes, uh, Father Richard Rohr, he's a Franciscan monk mm -hmm. and priest. He says that change is often preceded either by great pain or great love. Mm -hmm. One of the two. You know, something has, again, it's part of that disruption that I'm talking about. Something has to disrupt our normal way of thinking that it's really important that you don't have wrinkles. Like, you just, like somehow that's our society. The worst thing you could have is wrinkles. Or hair, you should you should have hair, but no wrinkles. 
there's a commercial, this young fellow, nice looking fellow who noticed he was losing some hair. So right away he spent a lot of money and bought some stuff. I'm thinking, so like, why is it a rule that going bald is not a good thing? Mm. Mm. <laughs> Would it, I mean, other than for breeding purposes, <laughs> people, <laughs> a younger full head of hair means a young fellow who's more likely to produce children in, 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 in a bountiful way in a society where, you know, a lot of the children died before reaching puberty. The ability to reproduce is a big deal. Other than that one biological need, why is it important not to have wrinkles? Why is it important not to have gray hair or to have hair? We're caught in, in this minutia of things that could be pleasant or it's fine. They're not really important. We're not paying attention to um, into loving kindness and forgiveness and, and uh, paying attention to things like there's a documentary I saw where astronomy and the, the astronomer said talking about how vast the universe is which is always a great way to like have your mind just if you really think about it you realize you can't think about it this is one of the moments and the way he did it was he said if you find a place where you can see stars, I'm in New Jersey, doesn't happen. <laughs> but if you can see stars, is take a, a drinking straw, go out at night and then point at any point in the, in the skies. It doesn't matter where, just point. And he says, you'll see little speckles of light. And he said, that represents tens of thousands of stars. Mm. And so I'm thinking, wow, just that little, little star. And then he pauses except they're not stars. They're tens of thousands of galaxies. And I heard that say, you know, where do we live? I mean, <laughs> this is our home. <laughs> where do we live? <laughs> it's like, it's like, it was, it, it begs the question of like, if, the, if, and I don't know that this is true, I don't think it's true, but if we were the only planet that had life, what can you say other than wow? Like, and then, and then, why? 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 There must be a reason that this is it. This is, <laughs> at least for a while out there, there's not many people except us here on Earth, at least physical beings. There may be other kind of beings that we can't see. <laughs> but physical beings is just a, this planet. It's a precious thing in this vast, beautiful universe, but empty of what we recognize as life. There's, there's a teaching in that. There's an awe. In, in Roman Catholicism, early Christianity, um, the monastic orders couldn't have any kind of other hobbies except astronomy. They allowed astronomy because that always ended up in wonderment. Mm. And that was really important to keep cultivating wonderment. Uh, it's, it's extraordinary to me. Yeah, it, it seems like that's the conclusion of the curiosity a little bit. Like, uh, I'm going to search and I'm going to search. And then uh, at a certain point, I'm going to realize I don't, I don't need to keep searching anymore. Or at least I, I could take a break from, <laughs> from the constant search uh, for a little a while. And, and, and 
And, and I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is humility, because I think that's what come what comes of it. Like that's that's the lesson that you know human beings are so intelligent, right? We're capable of understanding so much um, that it's almost it almost feels like it's easy to think that we can know things that we really can't know, right? So like the process of just giving it up uh, feels really essential to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. It- it was a satsang years ago with Gurudev, and that question came up, what is humility? And I loved his answer. Um, I haven't found anything better, which is kind of typical. But he said, you, see, true humility is, it's like you're on a, a beach, sandy beach, and every grain of sand is a piece of knowledge, something to know. Says, humility is, you reach down and you pick up a handful of sand. <laughs> yeah. says, That's what you know. Mm. Says, so you know very little. But then he paused and he made this kind of, to me, it was like a loop back that was wonderful. He says, so what you know is very little, but what you do know is something great. Mm. And I, to me, he was clearly referring to, to these spiritual truths. So we don't mean I know a lot, but what we know is worth knowing. Right. And it seems too that the, the, the quality of knowing changes when I acknowledge the limitation of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often like to use the word integrate, that we're integrating into, into who we are, into our sense of being, knowledge. It's not something um, that we contain. There's a, there's a tra- saying, I'm trying to remember where it's from. Anyway, it's a, it's a saying from someone famous, I can't remember. Um, was talking about the nature uh, of, of the mind. Um, says the mind is not a basket that you fill. It's a fire that's lit. Mm. And it's really different if you think of the two images. One is um, I've learned about um, how, to, how to change the oil in my car, and I've learned about how to get from here to there. And it's this little bucket, and I keep putting things in it. Um, Sometimes it integrates with who I am and sometimes it doesn't, but ultimately it's not as satisfying as this image of the mind uh, being a fire. Um, and it, it reminds me of um, not too long ago, I was reading about the, the, the brain of babies, infants. And the, uh, the scientist was saying that when they're like, you know, from the time they're born, this is what he said. Their minds are absolutely on fire. Hmm. You won't see it, obviously. And then they showed you how you could tell what was going on. And all these little random movements, they're finding out, dang, random. They're like reaching out uh, into this new universe and incorporating information at like an astonishing rate that we never reach again, unless maybe we're you know, going into samadhis, <laughs> maybe there. But other than that, we're way behind where we started out. Um, so I, I think, I think that's, we have to have a different relationship to knowledge mm-hmm. and the yoga sutras, Patanjali says is reliable and unreliable knowledge. Um, and to me, that implies a different relationship. It's not whether I, I made a mistake or it's correct knowledge. It's more like, can I lean on this knowledge? Is, is it practical? And to me, that's reliable. It's like you checked something before you, you know, a, a footbridge across a, a chasm. 
check it first to make sure it seems solid. It has to be reliable. I could trust it. That means I'm using it. It becomes not an end in itself, but it becomes a means to an end. Yep. It also makes me think that like, you know, maybe when I was younger, I had some pieces of knowledge that felt reliable to me. They were useful to me then. They got me through some things. But then later on, I realized that although they were useful in some capacity, they were holding me back and therefore less useful in other capacity. So it's like maybe this, this constant reassessing of the, of the knowledge, like question, testing it again, is it still, does it still hold? That's great. That's a really great insight because a lot of the things that keep us in trouble are trying to use knowledge that worked once and doesn't work anymore, but we keep trying. Uh, that's, I think that's brilliant. I think that's a brilliant way to look at it. Um, knowledge can be time and situation uh, reliant. Like what works here and now may not work there tomorrow. Yeah. I want to go back to the, the fire because I love it so much. Uh, and it also makes me uh, consider the, the universal fire mm. of, I think all of us, right? You're talking about the unity and feeling connected that I'm on a on a, on, on a team. Um, and then I'm, I'm also relating it to what you shared in, in terms of uh, kind of the, um, the social uh, important things that we kind of put onto each other in terms of, okay, being bald is not a good thing or, you know, how I look is so important and um, things like that. Um, so between these two things, it's like, there's one way to look at it and say, um, you know, I'm, we're like ranking human beings, which seems like a very, a very common thing to do. Like who's better, how good am I constant thing, which is totally, I think all in like the little eye, right? Like, um, yeah. and, and there's like only a scarcity. So I need to get as much goodness for myself or else someone else is going to take it. Right. So it's like slices of a pie and there's only a limited amount. I got to take. So I'm relating it to the fire because the fire, I think of it as like this ever growing, expanding thing that we're all a part of that's hopefully improving. I mean, maybe even like a fire of love, like maybe love mm -hmm. is a fire improving. So anything kind of between those two uh, views of, of, of life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, the, image of the mind is fire is something that is worthy of repeated contemplation as we go on to understand what it is. And I think one way to understand it um, that we can grasp fairly, fairly quickly is when we talk about digestive fire, the ability to, so if you have good digestive fire, you take in the nutrition and your body is able to do two things. I'm oversimplifying, obviously, but that's two things. One is it takes what you've eaten, takes your lunch, um, and it takes the nutrients and absorbs the nutrients. If things are going well, it absorbs nutrients and it builds bones and muscles and nerves and all the things that needs to, to needs replenishing. But good digestion uh, includes also eliminating waste. Right? Whatever, what isn't needed anymore is passed out of the body. And that's good digestion. If you have weak digestive system and any, anywhere along the digestive canal, you're eating food, 
food that's partially digested in Ayurveda is called ama. Uh, by the way, ama with one M means sludge, with two M's means mother. So you have to be very careful. <laughs> the difference between ama and amma. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, in, in Ayurveda, it's the, the ama. So when we talk about in yoga, at least originally, not so much these days, originally when you said, oh, these these practices eliminate toxins, they're talking about ama, partially digested food, because they didn't have all the pollutants that we have. So we can include all the pollutants, but we shouldn't forget ama. And that's the main cause of disease in Ayurveda. Uh, physically, anyway, the main cause of disease is partially digested food um, that just stays in the system and it ferments and it causes all kinds of problems and you don't eliminate well. Um, and it has a, a corollary to the mind. Um, we have mental experiences. It's like taking in food and then we should learn how to absorb what's useful and then pass away things that aren't. So we're not constantly repeating. Um, the fire that we're talking about, that's the mind. <clears throat> Is it really the same? When we take in information, are we really digesting it well? Mm. I mean, Gurudev often said, and for years, it, to me, it was sweet, but I didn't get it. <laughs> Which was, he says, I don't want followers. I want swallowers. Mm. And he loved playing with words, so we all laughed. And then I'd always think, but what does he mean by swallowing? <laughs> Am I a swallower? What does that look like? I think this is what it is, that we take in information the way we take in our lunch. Um, and if we, we have good hunger, that curiosity comes back again. If we really have curiosity. We want to want to learn and grow. We have a joy in it. Then we absorb it and it becomes integrated into who we are. It's not something we're holding in a basket. It becomes it in some real sense, at least in some way who we are, how we view life, and how we view what happens to us. That's a mind on fire. It's not just collecting, it's using everything. And then it passes away things that Gurudev called the nonsense. And again, this took me like 25 years to figure out, which says something maybe about me. He would always talk about the, you know, the, the truth is one pairs are many when he's in that, talking about those things. And he would say that there's the essence and then there's the nonsense <laughs> is what we call yoga. And I kept thinking, but nonsense, it never, it didn't quite seem to fit him. It just seemed like, I don't want to say harsh, but it seemed almost dismissive. There's the essence in the spiritual path and then there's the nonsense. And it's, it's a little, you know, is he throwing some shade on it? I don't know. But then I realized what he was actually saying was there's the essence and there's the non-essence. Mm. The non-essence, he's squashed it together, playing with words as he usually does, and made nonsense. So I think that's what part of what we're constantly doing with, with what we learn is trying to dis discern the difference between what's essential and what's non-essential. And we don't have to throw out what's non-essential. There's, there's time in life to do things that are just for fun. <laughs> so it's maybe not essential to our lives, but being able to play a game of chess with a friend is not an essential thing, but it's a wonderful thing. Um, everything then kind of floats into its own place and its own level. But that requires a mind that's hungry to know, that's really on fire to be, again, like we were when we were like a few months old in the crib. 
that we really want to know. It's a, uh, a line in a song by Jimi Hendrix. Um, and he says, I want to hear and see everything. He repeats it, I want to hear and see everything. Um, it's, it's actually a little science fiction uh, story in a song of a being that was on earth at one time then left and then came back. And he wants to know what's happening. So want, but he doesn't want to know just a few things. I want to see and hear everything. And that line, I think, that to me typified Buddhadev. He was interested in everything, that, anything he got near, he'd want to know. He'd ask questions of people who, who had, you know, different uh, skills in life, different, and he wanted to know all about it. Just for the joy of it, the fire is there. And any, anytime that fire approaches anything that it could digest, it'll do it. Mm. Yeah, he's he was a swallower, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he was a swallower. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I feel that this is such an important part uh, part of the spiritual path too, because you know I I noticed that there's a, there's a part of me that um, just like wants to fall into the follower uh, role because it's just kind of it's easier. Right. Like I don't need to digest it. I don't need to decide which feels right and which I'm going to put aside for now. I'm just going to do what I'm told. Uh, And that's it. Um, Yeah. Any, any reflections on that? Yeah. uh, For some reason reminds me of uh, something master Shivananda said. He said in the normal course of things, our attention follows interest. So we have an interest in something and then we pay attention to it. And he said, I think he actually said, that's not correct. But anyway, he makes a segue into the opposite. He says, attention develops interest. Mm-hmm. That if you, if you pay attention, if you can hold your attention long enough, anything will start revealing beautiful truths to you. So he talked about the ability uh, to hold, maintain attention on something. And then, and it turns out to be true. I mean, my experience that way too. Like, I'm not really interested in this thing. Well, let me just get to know, know it a little bit. It's almost like a person, you know, certain people, their personalities are very winning right away. It's easy to be with them. They're a good match for you. And other people, it's not that you dislike them. You're not feeling the connection. Maybe you don't understand them well. But little by little, as they reveal themselves, and you reveal yourself to them, that attention, that energy, ends up being really rewarding a lot of times. Yeah, I think it's like uh, investigators for value. Like we're yeah. detect- detectives to find, to find value. I, I love like, that. <laughs> my, yeah, like my, uh, my whole life has, has, has shifted. Um, from when I kind of used to want to just put people in a category. I like them. I don't like them. Kind of what you're saying. I like this person. I don't like them. It's such a simple, simple way of looking at the world. And it's not really in alignment. There's not enough juice there as opposed to what can I take out of this? Even, even with interests, like asking the question, well, someone's really interested in this. Someone's really into gardening. I've never gotten into it before. Can I investigate and find out what that juice is? And 
instead of just labeling, labeling is just the easy, easy thing to do. It's like even the person that I'm most like repulsed by, what, what is there some value there that I can draw and leave the rest and that judgmental part of my mind that wants to label, like that doesn't even matter. I'm not even interested in that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing is uh, my wife always kids me because anytime we do business with anybody, just buying anything, even a florist, I'll ask her, why are you a florist? How long you've been doing it? And you find the most interesting stories. It, I, there was actually, a, I've been thinking of a florist years ago, we had an IYI in New Brunswick and we developed a relationship with this florist for programs and things. Uh, great for giving us petals for pujas. You <laughs> would have whole bagfuls for us. Mm-hmm. His name was Jack and he looked like a, a broken nose boxer. And he talked like that, you, like almost like stereotype. And then one day I started asking him about himself. And he, he said, I just love flowers so much. He says, I, I work six and a half days a week. And I haven't had a vacation in 16 years. I said, Jack, don't you get tired? He says, well, physically sometimes. He says, but I just love flowers. And I love my, my, my uh, customers. So, no, I'm happy doing this. And those moments like sharing that with this this fellow you would never think of him as a florist just looking at him broken nose and all, all of that uh but underneath there was this like soft beautiful man that just loved flowers and if i didn't ask him i wouldn't have seen that mm-hmm. so getting to know the beauty in, in in almost everyone unless you know there's a few people sociopaths or whatever but most people, they all have something beautiful inside, something that they treasure, uh, that they don't owe to share. They don't owe it to us. But if we get a chance to see it, we realize how how much more connected we are, like a bouquet of flowers, you know, like the different colors and the different shapes, and we all have something important. Uh, and, and again, using Gurudev as an example, when he would meet guests and different people, and even just to say hello to someone, he walked past the line and he was, oh, good today. And he would look at you and say, oh, how do you and tap you on the shoulder or something. It lasted one or two seconds. But without a doubt, in that one or two seconds, it was just you and him in the universe. That's it. There was no distraction going on. There was nothing else. There was no rushing. You were in his gaze 100% for one or two seconds. And the amazing thing was that satisfied you. It was full. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you about is I keep getting the sense when I'm, when I'm listening to you, uh, the word like relaxation comes to me a lot. Like that this is key of, of almost just like falling back into, you know, the arms of the universe, just like, letting go into this process of what's happening to us. Like because to me, when you tell that story, I, I sense that that's where Gurudev might've been. Like he's just, so he's so relaxed that, and just interested and curious what's going to, okay, you're there. And now I'm right there with you. This is you know, that sort of thing. So I, I, I don't know. And just anything to share about kind of this, just relaxing into this experience that we're all having. Yeah, I think it's probably a, 
a meeting of several great virtues. I think there's love there, like selfless love, which unconditional love is even better. Unconditional love, there's no conditions to the love, it's just there. If you've never met him before and you meet him, the love for you is there. It doesn't have to be earned. There's nothing, in the, and that's extraordinary to have someone have that towards you. Like just, you're there, you've never met the man, and he, you know that he's available 100% to you in a loving way. Uh, I think love is part of it. I think acceptance is really important. Um, I was with him once at an airport, uh, not just me, it was a small group. And the, 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 you know, we had what we call airport satsangs in those days. When he would stop over, at least by us, we would go run to Newark Airport or JFK if there was a little time, we would see him off. And so this was midday. So only five of us were with him, right? And the, the flight got canceled. We come back at 6.30 that night and there's like 40 of us. In between, he was staying with this, this family, this uh, Indian family and, and the, the woman made these amazing Indian sweets. So when we got together at 6.30, there's like 40 people there and all of us got treated to some chai, and these amazing delicacies that she made for everyone. And Gurudev sat in this little plastic chair that they have at the, at the airports. And he looked like the king of the universe. He was just so relaxed. Like nobody's comfortable in those chairs, but somehow he made it look like the most comfortable thing. And after a long while, his eyes were closed and he opened his eyes and said, this is the key to peace. Accept everything. And he said, look at what we're experiencing now. Because of that canceled flight, I could have been upset, he said. So then I just accepted. Now I get to be with all of you. Mm. That he says you have to accept everything. Just he says that's the key to peace. You don't need to do. He said you don't even need to do sadhana. So if you can accept everything, then your mind never gets upset. You just accept whatever comes. And that really was, is burned into my mind. That image of him in a, in a plastic molded chair mm. in, in, in Newark Airport. As if he was the king of the universe. And then all at the same time, us eating these wonderful sweets, it just kind of reinforced, this is a sweet thing. Mm. His flight, he said, yeah, I know that people would be disappointed. It was, it was a flight to Cleveland. I remember that. He says, yeah, they'll be disappointed. But what can we do? We have to accept what comes and know that there'll be some good in it. So I think there's that love and acceptance and faith. You could roll them up together or see it as one gem from different facets. I think that's where that relaxation comes. I think there's faith and love and acceptance. It's so beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. And um, also makes me consider, I think what you originally said about the pain, about, um, I don't remember the exact words, but you know, seeing them as an opportunity when that kind of the suffering comes. And it's like, it makes me, consider that he had that that's an example what you just shared of him doing that thing like okay i could be upset with the situation of of i'm not i'm not where i'm supposed to be but i am like that's to me that's the art of grace of 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 navigating this life experience and letting go of the control and the hold that we we think we have yeah i think that it yeah, and I, I wish maybe someone took a picture of it. I wish, I hope they did. Mm. That moment is so seared into my mind. It, he was having a beatific vision 
at Newark Airport <laughs> and, and sharing it with us. And we're all just like enraptured by by him at the, the, looking at him for all this time with his eyes closed. And he was in some kind of a state and he looked at us and we were eating the sweets. But to him, we were the sweets. That was the clear yeah. thing. We were the sweets to him and we were worth it. That was the, in a sense, this is a gross way to put it, but that was the payoff for the, the, the these canceled flight. Not that, you know, it's a, a kind of a crass way to say it, but it felt wonderful. Right? And it was a, it's a great lesson. Just accept whatever comes, however it comes, whenever it comes, be patient, be strong, have faith. And, and that's, and I'll just say this is a last quick thing that always brings me back to the importance of that we have with each other. We can't do this alone. This path, we need each other to support. When we're low, we need a little support. And we're there to offer support when someone else is a little low. And that keeps us going until we could reach that final end stage of yoga. Reverend Jagannath, oh my gosh, this has been um, this has been quite the sweet for me um, being here with you. Uh, so much gratitude. Thank you so much for for sharing. Um, I want to ask if uh, if there's someone that's interested in. Um, kind of getting in touch or learning more about you and, and your work, what you're doing, what's the best way to do that? Uh, online, yogalifecenter.org. That'll find out. And there's all the information of where I'm teaching plus other things that are happening, but they can do that. And uh, I have two books at, through uh, Integral Yoga Distribution, Inside the Yoga Sutras, and also Inside Patanjali's Words both available through Integral Yoga Distribution and Amazon. Both of those are on Amazon. So those are ways to keep in touch. Thank you so much again. Wishing Thanks. you so well. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Avi. Bless you. It was really a joy. God bless, bless you. you. Om Shanti. Om Shanti. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.